This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Your Money on Business Radio. Hello and welcome to a special edition of Your Money, SiriusXM Channel 132. And I'm Kent Smithers, a professor here at the Wharton School Still joining you by Zoom, but hopefully today's show will be a, a little bit uh, special for you. And we're going to be talking about uh, financial planning for women. Um, and really, a lot of the advice, though, is going to be more general than that. But there are certainly a lot of issues that women in particular do face. And so I have two fee-only advisors with me. And remember, that's the only type of advisor we look for is fee-only along with four women who have been working with them on their own specific uh, financial needs. And these are clients of the advisors. And I want to make clear that they are not being compensated uh, for being part of this program. Um, They simply want to share those stories and hopefully get you into uh, working with a financial advisor. Uh, The advisors with me are Susan Powers and Kate Hennessy, both partners at Asset Grade. And Susan and Kate, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you. Thanks, Ken. And so before we introduce the guests, uh, in particular, the clients you've been working with, let's just learn a little bit more about you. I'll start with you, uh, as Susan, you know, what are some of the special financial needs that uh, women might have and that you've been working with them on? Yeah, thank you, Kent. Um, you know, I'll, I'll say the, the most important financial need is one that I don't see reflected often, and that is my clients express to me that their need is to truly be heard and engaged in the conversation. They're not looking for a nod of the head and a turn back to their spouse or partner to continue talking as if they haven't just said something important. Um, I found nobody wants to be presumed to be not under to not understand or be incapable of learning. Um, I know it sounds simple, but it's really important. I, I think you yeah. issue here today. These women are smart. Um, they know how to work hard and they have really important goals they're trying to achieve. Uh, many of my clients are small business owners, which brings, you know, its own set of challenges and opportunities. Um, others are women dealing with the loss of a spouse or the failing health of a spouse. Um, and some of the time they're, they may be engaging in the financial planning conversation for the first time. Um, they appreciate the importance of understanding both the what and the why of their financial plan and the investments that are supporting it. Great. And, and certainly you talk about, in some cases, you know, financial conversations with financial advisors are often you know, either they can be condescending toward women or they can just, the, the, the woman that uh, the, the, she is being kind of drowned out in that conversation. So uh, we often think that both husband and wife, for example, should be meeting with the financial advisor at the same time to talk about goals and often see the disagreement in those goals and things mm-hmm. like that. Are, are you are you generally taking that approach, but what you do is you kind of level set in terms of the expectations of who, who talks the most or you know how, how are you doing it a little bit differently if, if you're trying to give women more of a voice? Yeah, at, at Asset Grade, we, we really make it clear from the onset that we want to engage the couple. We're not interested in having a conversation with just one person because if both people, as you say, aren't there and part participating in the conversation, then what they're wanting, their goals aren't being necessarily reflected in that financial plan. And so we do, um, right. we do typically insist that both be present for all of those planning meetings. Yeah, but when you have a situation where, you know, Let's face it, sometimes men can be dominating and that the, the husband may be trying to dominate that conversation still. You know, it's interesting. I I haven't found that, but maybe that's because the couples uh, that have come to yeah. me, it's because they want the woman to be engaged and the woman is taking an active role in making mm-hmm. that decision as well. So that hasn't been as much of a challenge. Sure. What they have said is they've experienced that before and they don't want to continue to experience it. Good. That's great. And Kate, what about you? I mean, talk to me about uh, your typical client. You bet. So, so I'm a working mom and my husband and I have two daughters. And initially my clients looked a lot like me. They were saving for competing goals, retirement and college savings. But as life evolves, my client base evolved as well. And now I work with younger women that are starting their financial journey. Those younger women in their early thirties that are just starting to save 
and invest more. And also those women that are going through transitions, whether it's retirement, divorce, or loss of a spouse. Yeah, and certainly those uh, life transitions are often the time that people think about getting a financial advisor. Uh, we obviously like them to get the advisor even earlier, but it's often you know, uh, those points of life transitions where people get that kind of impetus and start thinking about financial advisor. All right, so let's talk um, about with some of your clients and um, let's turn to some of our other guests. The first up is uh, Alicia Lingen Felser, who is the president of Red Bird Trucking in San Marcos, Texas. So Alicia, you know, your bio uh, describes you as you're a former do-it-yourself type of investor. So talk to me about that. You know, why did that change? And, um, you know, was there any particular you know, set of facts behind that of why it changed? Well, it's interesting. So um, an event, and it really dovetails what Susan and Kate were just saying, it dovetails off of. Uh, you know, a family incident happening. In my case, you know, I'd been, me and my partner had been in corporate America. We, about 10 years ago, said we're going to do our own thing. Um, we decided we'd start a trucking company. So this is two lesbians in Texas starting a trucking company in an all male dominated field. So right. great business plan. It was going to go terrific. <laughs> and it actually did. But we got a few years in and both of my parents got ill at the same time. Hmm. So I all of a sudden was dealing with I need to manage my parents care. Plus, I need to sell all their assets. I had to move them in with me. I'm taking them to doctors. So I'm 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 all of a sudden trying to run a new company and take on this full process of managing failing health from parents. Um, right. On top of it, I've got a fairly large family. As you can imagine, there's always a little drama in there around money. Um, and so I needed a way to insulate myself from kind of dealing with my parents' money directly, having somebody who had kind of a secondary oversight. And so I picked up the phone and called Susan and said, I need you to manage my parents' money and help me through this time. And so it really was, it was a, just me reaching out and saying, I have to unload one thing because I can't do all of this myself anymore. Um, and it really started my journey with Susan with my parents' assets um, and then ultimately, you know, evolve from there. So I'm hearing three things. One is big time commitment to try to do it all. So you want to kind of outsource some of that. Secondly, it sounds like you need a referee kind of for within right. the family. And then the third is, is some expertise as especially as you deal all of a sudden with kind of aging issues and all the complexity uh, around that is. So those are kind of the three framing things of your motivations of why you why you reached out. Correct. And, and really, there are so yeah. many women in my own life who are dealing with these exact same issues with parents that have failing health, and they're beginning to take on these additional, really full-time obligations. You lovingly do it, but you realize that you just cannot continue to manage everything yourself. You need help. And uh, this was an area where I felt the most confident in outsourcing with people I trust and uh, and people who have done all the right things by me since, you know, the time I engaged them. So. Yeah. And there's a tremendous amount of complexity when you're talking about aging parents, everything from Medicaid long-term care yes. to uh, final disposition of assets to just so many uh, complexities. And if, you know, if, if there is a substantial decline in health to make sure all those medical directives and wills and so forth are in order. So Susan, um, um, Alicia was your client. Just jump in. T tell me about your kind of the interactions with her. Be nice. 
<laughs> it is a big family. Um, and I, I have to say, Alicia and I knew each other before we were working together and I knew her family and, and loved her parents. Um, unfortunately, we didn't have them with us for that long after they became ill. And so I was I was grateful to be able to be there and help Alicia through that time. Um, and in doing that, it it also engaged us in a deeper conversation about what was going on with Alicia and Stephanie's lives and their company at Redbird and what they needed. Yeah, and then Ken, right. just to follow up on that, I mean, we ended up do starting with, you know, we'll do it all ourselves to moving my parents' assets to now moving our personal assets to Susan. And now inside of our company, Susan is, you know, we were only about 100 people, 401k seemed too complex. Susan came up with, you know, a simple IRA plan for us that we could offer to our employees with a 3% match, much easier to maintain. This then put me on a competitive playing field with a lot of my customers or, and my competitors. And now all of a sudden, I'm, I've got a healthcare and 401k slash simple IRA plan that puts me up there at the same level of some of the biggest trucking companies in the industry, which gave my company a larger appetite and the employees that were looking a larger appetite to come to us. Um, right. And so it really morphed into not only personally helping me, but then personally helping our company. Um, so it was really an evolution. Yeah. It, it, would you say you are a do-it-yourself or kind of previously by kind of default or you just um, or you thought it was easy at that time before you started the business or it, was it um, more of a trust issue? Well, in this case, it says, you know, I know you've known Susan for uh, even before the relationship, but you know, why do you th why do you think motivated your your previous kind of do it yourselfer? Well, you know, I I had worked in the financial industry. I had you mm -hmm. know spent most of my life in corporate America in in a more senior roles, and uh, I understood the markets. I understood my own investment strategy, and so I wasn't coming from a I need to learn and understand the elementary parts of investing. I really had a good basis for how to manage my own time and my own money. And really taking on a, the ownership of the company, which I, I know the women who are on here can all understand this, it, it really becomes an all-encompassing thing. And things do get uh, kind of pushed to the side. And I noticed I had less and less time to look at my own investments and to care for them. Uh, in the way that I should have. And really turning them over has been a comfort to me. Yeah. You yeah. Know, Kent, I was going to say, this is Susan. Um, I, I have often told people I was in corporate America for 20 years before becoming a registered investment advisor as well. And I said, if I'd hired myself 20 years ago, I'd have more money today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, a, a, absolutely. I mean, even I often say financial advisors themselves often should often have a financial advisor because you know <laughs> part, part of the job is you know all that behavioral um you know uh, competence and having somebody to talk you off the ledge when the markets are falling and so forth so uh this is i'm kent S smethers and again you're listening to your money um sirius xm channel 132 uh, and i have a, again, a professor at the wharton school and i uh, have a special show today um Yes, we're still by Zoom, but we are in uh, for today's show have invited in some financial advisors who in particular work with women. Uh, but the show is general, and so uh, please stick around for principles that could be uh, applying uh, uh, to you. Um, and so it, it sounds like uh, your parents did pass away, um, and it, it, certainly there's there's work there with the settlement of the, the estate and. I, um, some complexities there. Um, how has your relationship, um, uh, Alicia, changed with Susan after that happened? Well, I will tell you, uh, before I did not have somebody who was looking at my entire financial picture. So I have Susan involved with our tax attorney from the company. I have Susan involved with our business attorney and I have Susan involved with our state attorney. And before I didn't have one person who was intermingling in all of these important aspects, because as I get older, I'm 56 right now, and 
I'm looking at retirement, I hope in the next few years, I needed someone who was thinking about tax, you know, problems or potential obligations or mitigating those things. And each section really wasn't talking to the other section uh, from my attorney standpoint in everything that we're doing. And Susan now is just She's kind of the person bringing all of the thoughts together and then talking with Stephanie and I about how we're going to structure what the next two to four years looks like for us financially. Yeah. So that's been a great help to us. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, one of the jobs of the supervisor is certainly quarterbacking across all those different layers of complexity, CPA, um, lawyer, and so forth. So we also have on the show today, Lindsay Paulus here. Uh, she is a real estate broker in LaGrange, uh, Illinois. Um, Lindsay, you came to Kate seeking help um, with uh, something I often get calls about all the time, that's saving for college. And it sounds like it started simple, some simple questions that led to our longer and uh, more broader uh, relationships. So talk to us about your experience. Hi, Ken. Um... Sure. So, um, well, you know, I stayed at home for uh, almost more than 10 years to, you know, be home with my three boys. And um, I really didn't start working full time until my youngest went to kindergarten and I started uh, working as a real estate broker. So um, prior to that, you know, being home with the three boys um, and being given advice early on that from my parents, actually, um, my dad had a very successful business when I was growing up. So I listened to his advice, which was, you know, it's okay to be house poor. And so my husband and I probably got a little bit in over our head with our mortgage payments. And, um, you know, we kind of floated in and out of uh, credit card debt and, uh, really weren't stockpiling any money for, you know, until, like I said, my youngest was in kindergarten and beyond. But, um, luckily my business took off. Um, and in fact, my husband's, uh, left his job and joined me, um, in real estate. Yeah. Just recently, a couple months ago. So, um, so as we started to actually have some more funds, the absolute anxiety that I had over how are my kids going to get, how are we paying for three boys to be in college? At one point, it'll be at the same time. Um, led me to, um, give Kate a call. And I'm so glad and relieved that we did because what Kate helped us with um, was several things. Um, you know, she helped with um, kind of organizing our whole financial picture so that we know that we're saving for retirement and we have an end goal in mind of, you know, when we can retire if we put X amount of dollars into our accounts, but then also um, helped us map out, okay, if we expect our three boys to go to college and maybe go to a certain level of college. You know, we can't be sure, but um, how much do we need to be saving and in what types of accounts to be smart for us? And then she set it up to be automated. And that's what I like yeah. really love. So at first it was extremely painful to see these big chunks of money because we were late in the game um, taken out of our accounts. Um, so they were even bigger chunks than they would have needed to be had we started earlier. But, um, but once that was set up and we kind of got used to that, it's a huge sense of relief to know my, my oldest is going to, our oldest is going to go to college, um, this year coming up in the fall. And mm -hmm. I'm just mm -hmm. so thankful, so thankful that we now kind of have, a, we have a plan and I'm, I don't have the anxiety that I used to have. Yeah, you know, you know, I'll tell you, parents mean really well, and they love you, but they often will extrapolate from what happened to them and make a general point to to, to everyone and everything. And and so it, it sounds like that happened. It worked great for your dad, but the fact of the matter is, it doesn't mean that it's a general principle uh, uh, for everyone. Every situation is different. So, Kate, okay, it sounds like um, one of the things, that, of course, an advisor does is. It's not just looking at the money, but looking at the goals and then organizing uh, uh, lots of things. So when it comes to college in particular, there's multiple facets to that. One is even the highest priority versus things like retirement. And so thinking through all those prioritization, how much does should you know parent really be thinking toward college? And then there's technical issues like you can't 
you know, use the same, you know, 529 across, you know, uh, kids simultaneously, you know, you can always reassign if their age gaps are very different. But I mean, there's technical issues there as well. So talk to me about that relationship from your, your perspective. Well, what was great was that um, when Kate came and, you know, my husband and I met, uh, we had already had some Utma accounts set up um, through my parents. They had gifted my, uh, the three boys each and, you know, a kind of a chunk of money early on. And we did have that, but I, I knew it would, yeah. it was a nice chunk, but I had no idea really how nice or how little or more you know, how that was going to help us. So Kate could take that information and she put it into the, you know, super spreadsheet of, uh, you know, with these UTMAs. And then if we add these 529 plans, and if you consider them going to like a certain level school, like I said, how, and, and the, as the years pass, how the money will compile and kind of just, you know, beep, boop, beep, boop, the spreadsheet, like told us, you know, well, then you're going to be all right. If you, if you invest a certain amount of money. Yeah. So, that's, that's, yeah. And certainly, you know, these UTMA accounts were way of transferring money to minors while still maintaining that uh, control of that money and, and so forth. They're much more popular in the past uh, for college saving than, say, 529 accounts today. But, Kate, from your perspective, I mean, so you've, you've, Lindsay contacts you. Talk to me about that, that relationship and, you know, what was your kind of setting there? Yeah, absolutely. So, well, from, from the onset, Lindsay and Dave were super engaged and they had this need, right? They wanted to continue saving for retirement, but also really accelerate their saving for the three boys. Because when I met them, Davey was the youngest in grade school and um, Bobby and Nick were, were in high school, right? So, so they had kind of a shorter time horizon, you know, towards college. And we set up those 529 plans right away. We created the college planning spreadsheet. I think what I really appreciate about Lindsay and Dave is that they talk to their kids about the cost of college. As you know, Ken, you could go to a highly technical school on the West Coast or a state school, and really the cost will vary between the two. So they did a great job talking about what we can and can't afford. And the other thing I appreciate about Lindsay and Dave is that last year, when we were talking to our clients, a lot during the pandemic and the volatile markets, they came to me and said, we don't want to stop. We want to keep contributing because we know that if mm. we stop, we may not start again. So, or there may yeah. be a delay. So they kept going. And I really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, one of the values, it is true. You get a much bigger tax uh, deferral if you're able to start those 529 plans and things like that much earlier because it's like putting in after tax dollars like a Roth IRA. So you're getting much better tax break if you can do it earlier. But when it's even starting late, it, you just hint to that, Kate, it's really this discipline advice. Mm-hmm. And especially if you auto save, that it's just, it's forcing you to do it. And sometimes just that, that those containers are, are, are a good thing when it comes to financial uh, 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 planning. So uh, we could have a couple of minutes left before the end of this segment, but um, it, it, Lindsay, you and your husband also, you said you have three sons, and my understanding is that two of the sons have Roth IRAs. So ex- yeah. explain to, to me how that got set up and, and so forth. Well, I think their interest in saving is sort of to coming from two different directions. I think they um, they see us meeting at the kitchen table with Kate and they're curious at what we're doing. Yeah. So it sparks conversation. And then also it's kind of trendy right now for high school boys to be investing money in stocks. And so they're yeah, hearing yeah. a lot about it in the media. And so they have an interest. And um, what Kate was great about and helping us with is sitting down with the boys, you know, so we arranged a meeting and sitting down with the boys and explaining how they could start saving now that they're both, um, you know, one works at Domino's pizza and one makes cold calls at state farm. And so they're bringing in some money and, uh, and they want to invest it, which I think is great. So we have them set up to, again, auto pull money from their account goes into my account. Then it goes into the Roth IRA. Kate's, figured it out for us. So, um, so yeah, now, yeah. bit by bit they're saving. 
great. Yeah, a lot of people don't know about these these IRAs for kids and Roth IRA for kids. That, yes. Um, they still have to have eligible compensation income to, to put money in, but it's it's, it's focused on minors people to age 18. Um, there's different philosophies here in terms of giving kids advice, and one of them is, hey, give the same advice as you would give parents, and that is um, broad market investing appropriate for your for your age and human capital. The other one is, you know, this there's not a lot of money. Make the mistakes now. And, you know, and if you buy one share, one stock, um, that's not very well diversified. But, hey, at least you learn now with not big dollars when you're young. I mean, Kate, what's your view? No, on that? I agree. So in the Roth IRAs, they're investing in target date funds. We like to look at them as it's their anchor. Right. And then on the side, you know, what they do with their friends, you know, when they talk about their whichever account, you know, they can pick their own stock. But in their Roth IRAs, they're just putting a certain amount in each month into a target date fund. And I explained how it works. And it's, it's, I, I like them because of the fact that eventually they're going to be in the real world after college yeah. and they're going to be investing in a 401k. And this is just the stepping stone, right? Getting them right. to understand the basics of compounding, deferring, consistent. And I do like the idea of the play money first gets them involved Yes, they're going to make some mistakes, but that's part of it. And yes. they will see that they will see the benefits of a broad based, the kind of diversified uh, uh, portfolio. So it, I, it, for, for some of my siblings uh, with kids and so forth, uh, it, it's it, they've all done this, you know, s split, you know, here, yeah. here's the money you got to take seriously. Here's kind of the play money. Yeah. You're going to invest in Disney because you like Disney films. It's really not the right way to invest, but that's something you'll learn. And it's, it's part of the education. So fantastic. With me is Susan Powers and Kate Hennessy. They're partners at Asset Grade and are fee-only advisors. Remember, that's the only type I recommend. If someone says they're fee-based, they're trying to trick you, just run and look for a fee-only uh, financial ad ad advisors. And so in the first uh, half of the program, we are heard uh, from two women who've been uh, working with you. And now we're going to hear a, a couple more stories. Uh, first is Liz Bachman, who is the Chief Administrative Officer and Senior Vice President for 500 South Capital in Chicago. And Liz, I've read your bio and it says you and your husband are comfortable making decisions with your financial life um, for quite a while and so then what made you you know think about finance finding a financial advisor yeah so uh, clearly my husband and i both came uh, from a background of financial services so we understood the importance of saving and investing and we did save and invest but we also did it in our own little channel so i had like my pool of assets he had his pool of assets and every now and then we would talk and we're like hey are we aligned like we had no idea and so we were doing the right things independently, but I needed the confidence that when we actually looked at our stuff together, that we were doing the things right. And so that's the primary reason I started to work with Kate is that I wanted to hear either one, girl, we need to talk, you've done it all wrong and you've got some big problems, or two, which is thankfully what we did here, um, was you're okay. And maybe we need to make some changes on the fringe, um, but honestly, we were okay. She, she helped us understand exactly what those changes were. And the biggest thing that I appreciated from Kate is that we actually started talking about our savings and our investing in a different light. So really kind of bringing our goals into the conversation, which we had never done before. Like, okay, we want to retire early, hopefully. We want to, you know, put our kids through college. Uh, we want to save for a couple of other things, but we never had the conversation in that light. And Kate really kind of forced us to sit down and have that conversation, which I told you, I, I, it really shed a lot of light in terms of what we were doing and why. Yeah. So Kate, you know, Liz comes to you and it's, it, this is often the case. It's just, it's simply the question, how am I doing? It's not necessarily motivated by, um, you know, a, a very specific need, but the, how am I doing is, is still a pretty important question. And so explain your kind of, from your perspective, that, that, uh, relationship with Liz and, uh, you know, how, how you got it all going and what were the things that you were focusing on? Yeah, so there was there was a couple of things. One was the initial conversation. We sat down and talked about what does retirement look like and when do you want to retire and what do you want to do in retirement, right? That's 
that's going to cost money. And we also talked about some of those smaller goals leading to retirement, whether that's a home renovation project or purchasing cars, you know, X amount of years, right? All of those things have a price tag. So we factored all of that information in. The other thing that, and Liz spoke about this, is that you're right. So she and her husband had looked at things kind of separately, which, which is very common, by the way, before yeah. you meet with a financial planner. And what we were able to do was actually pull everything together so that now on our client portal, they can view everything, which I think was pretty eye-opening for them. So they can, they can view everything and see where they are you know, on any given day right? See how their asset allocation is, see, you know, how they're doing towards their goal. So I think that that was, that was pretty important for them as well. Yeah. I mean, it's often the case that spouses disagree on goals, but they never communicate that to each other. They don't want to have that argument. Um, and it's often the case they have very different, you know, approaches to investments and it's uh, having that on one screen and one report is often uh, a, a quite eye-opening as you pointed out. So Liz, uh, from your bio, it says you put yourself through college um, as did I many years ago and you know therefore the importance of saving before you can invest. So talk to, to me about that experience and then the advice that you give to your, your own kids about saving and investing. Yeah, so I, I come from a very large family, so I have eight siblings. Um, and my mom didn't work, she was home raising us kids, all right, that's quite the task. Um, and my dad did yeah. okay, but like growing up, we, we, we didn't have a lot of money. We weren't poor, but we were pretty darn close to it. And so, you know, college and savings, it just was never part of our day-to-day discussions. Um, and as I kind of got through high school and I started to look for jobs and, you know, I, I, I'm no dummy, like I'm a smart individual, like, come on, hire me, give me a chance. And no one would hire me for the job that I wanted because I didn't have a college degree. So decided that putting myself through college was like the number one important thing that I needed to do to get on that path that I wanted to get on. Um, and I said, I, I'm not going to let that happen to my children. So we, we've been talking to them about money since they were like really, really little, like they're nine and 11 now. Um, and one of the things that I did for them is that as they had birthdays growing up, you know, we would get, you know, $5 in an envelope from one grandma, 20 bucks in an envelope from another grandma, you know, bigger birthdays, they got bigger gifts or a gift card that they really didn't need, like a Target gift card. I'm going to take that. I'm going to use that to buy paper towels and I'll put the money in your account. And we take them to the bank and they put it in the bank and they use a little passbook savings thing. And, you know, they can see, you know, we have the conversations about there's seven cents of interest or 11 cents of interest, depending on the timing. Um, and it's been really, really eye-opening. So we've been talking to them since they were really, really little. And a year ago, almost a year ago in May, um, my son, I realized like he, he's doing okay. Like he's got some money in his account. And I'm like, so he started talking about like, mom, what do I do with this? I think I need to invest this. And I said, all right, so now we're going to change the conversation and get really, really specific about the stock market and what does that mean and the risks associated with it. And I said, look, you're young. You're at the time he was 10 years old. You've got like a 70 year investment horizon. Let's just pick like SPY, right? Go buy a couple of shares of SPY. And he did it. He paid me the money. I actually bought it in my account. Um, and he's done really, really well. Now he keeps saying that, you know, I'm always about eye on the prize, eye on the prize. And um, he keeps thinking of different things that maybe he wants to take some money out and buy something. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You've forgotten it was in there for a year. You don't need to touch it. 70-year investment horizon. So we, we have that conversation all the time. He's like asking about different stocks and things like that. But um, I said, you know, look, you're young. SPY is a great place to be right now. And he's done very, very well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, for a lot of people who don't under, uh, know what the SPY is, that's, that's the standards and ports 500, sometimes called the large cap. Largest 500 companies in the United States, publicly traded ones in the United States, yeah. And so it's basically all stock investment in, um, and the S&P 500 represents about 75 to 80% of all listed shares. So it's pretty, pretty well diversified. Um, yeah. And it sounds like he got in at the right time. He did. <laughs> so, he did. Uh, that, that was certainly um, a, a good thing. And I agree with you. It's, it's, that's, you know, you're young and you have a lot of human capital in front of you. In the form of future wages, it's more like a bond, less like a stock. That's the time to be mm-hmm. thinking stock market investment. Uh, Liz, fantastic story. Thanks so much. Um, and our final you. story comes from Lisa McLeod. Uh, Lisa, welcome. 
great to be here with you. Yeah, and you're the founder of uh, McLeod and Moore in Atlanta, and you're named a top 20 sales expert by Global Guru. Uh, so you went through a period where you were afraid to invest. You kept all your money in cash. I mean, it's very common when you see the markets going up and up and up, and people are concerned, uh, you know, maybe it has to come down. So tell us your story. Well, I actually came to Susan after a period of what I'll call financial trauma. Uh, my husband and I lost a business in 2010 and had to declare bankruptcy. And it was very traumatic. It was based on, we got into it based on a lot of bad advice and ended up getting bad advice throughout it. And I was really frustrated. I mean, this is a show about women and money. I was really frustrated with a lot of the male advisors that I had talked with because, you know, I'm a smart person and I would get these things like, well, it's complicated. And yeah. I realized upon reflection, what I say now is if you can't explain it to me, either one, you're not a very good explainer or two, yeah. you're trying to cover up something. And so after this bankruptcy, I started to amp up my consulting business because I had to recover decades of our family money. I had a child at the time who, um, because we hadn't wisely invested her college fund, that was went during the bankruptcy and I had an 11th grader. And so I had to recover, you know, all of this money. And candidly, I did a really good job over the course of the following decade and ended up with paying cash for two private colleges, being able to recoup our family finances. But all that time, I left my savings in cash. And at that point, it's helpful for people to talk about numbers because we're always so weird. We don't want to talk about numbers. At that point, I had about a million dollars in cash in the bank and retirement savings. And I was just so afraid to, to risk that, to lose that after I'd been through this period where we'd lost all our money and I'd been lying awake at night worrying about, you know, am I going to be able to pay for college for my children who I've talked about college since birth? Am I going to, you know, lose everything? So I kept the money in cash and candidly, I missed a lot of the great market gains, but I said, I don't care. I'm going to yeah. keep this money in cash. And so then finally, my husband said, we need a financial advisor. And I finally felt secure enough to call somebody. And I said, well, it needs to be a woman and she needs to speak my language because the language mm -hmm. that women speak about money is very different. You know, men talk about building mm -hmm. wealth and that's all fine and well, but the language that women speak is about building happiness and building security and building freedom. And Alice said it on the very first you know, segment here. She talked about love. Like that's the whole point of having money to make life better for the people you love and be able to do what you love. And Susan was the first person that I ever spoke to who actually understood that. Yeah, it is. Uh... It's certainly very important, you know, one doesn't want to overgeneralize, but it is true that the data is very clear that men and women often conceptualize money very differently. And it's one reason why um, it, it's well documented that men seem to have higher tolerance for taking risks because they're less focused on the security, more focused on the upside and the bragging rights of having a better car and so forth. But it also means after a crash, they're much more likely to reset that risk aversion and be kind of less consistent over time. So I, I I'm just remind you, I'm Kent Smethers, a professor at the Wharton School, and you're listening to Your Money and doing a special show on women and investing. Uh, and so, uh, Lisa, you uh, also says from your bio, uh, you recently took a vacation. And so talk about that. I mean, um, your need to kind of get away the clarity um, you found as you kind of think through some of your business going forward? Well, the other thing, the other thing that happened, so we started investing with Susan and um, we obviously, you know, she's very smart. The market's done well. So we started to make money. And what I realized was I've always known how to make money, how to go out there in the world and sell stuff and make money. I've helped a lot of other people make a lot of money. But what I didn't know how to do was make my money work for me. And Susan helped me understand that. 
And what happened when I went on vacation, I, like a lot of people, was really burnt out. We did very well during COVID, but I just felt like every day was kind of this groundhog day of get in, get on Zoom, make things happen. And when I went away, something interesting happened to me. I thought that I wanted to sell my business and get out of it and take my cash. And when I went away, I realized I actually love my business. I don't want to sell my business. I love working. I love my business. I was just tired. I was just like a two-year-old yeah. who needs a nap, who says, I hate everybody. You know, I mean, that was, I was the grown-up equivalent of that. And the thing that I saw with Susan was this idea that I could live a really beautiful life. Because I think one of the things that happens to us as women is, you know, you all have talked about, Lindsay, you talked about the college, you know, you, Alicia, you talked about your family. As women, we see the clear sight line between our money and the people. You know, you say there have been lots of studies. There's actually been a number of studies about when women get money, the percent they invest back in their families and their communities is significantly higher than what women, men do. And what Susan really helped me understand I had some shame about what I wanted for money because I wanted to create a beautiful home. I wanted to take these fabulous trips with my family. Um, I'm on television. I wanted to be able to pay for me to get Botox and not feel bad about it. And one of the things that Susan, working with Susan and talking to other women that I really came to understand is we women get shamed often from early days on what we want, that our wants are somehow frivolous, mm -hmm. that the things that we want to do with our money aren't the important things. When in actuality, the data shows us that we invest our money to keep our families and ourselves happy, which right. is what's the point of having money if you can't do that. So when I went on vacation, one of the things I got was I got a lot of peace around if I keep up at this rate, this isn't just some rat race where I have to just build up this big pile of money. You know, I came back and Susan and I had a chat about it and it was really around, I can keep working maybe at a, at a more pleasurable pace, but I'm really funding a beautiful life for myself and for my family. And it shouldn't be this, well, I'm going to do all this work. So one day I can have these other things, but she said, Oh no, honey, we're, you need that now. We're going to have that now. Yeah, and that yeah. was just a different way of thinking than what I was raised with. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you, I, you know, I can run myself into the ground having those, those, those breaks, the, you know, those Shabbats, those Sabbaths, those occasional mm -hmm. vacations, I mean, they can play a big role in kind of re-energizing you. And when I, when I feel like quitting whatever I'm doing, it's often just that, like you said, being very tired. So Susan, you know, from, uh, so uh, Lisa comes to you and um, has, is really there's a lot on the table here that you got to kind of put together here. And so where did you start uh, with all that? Yeah, it was an interesting place um, because like she said, she she had savings and she had a lot of it. But what we started with was honestly, I, I showed her some data and we walked through it um, and looked at, you know, the problems with trying to time the market and why over yeah. long periods of time, you're going to be better off adhering to a discipline of investing. We've talked about that a couple of times. It's the adherence to a discipline um, that helps so much. And, and Lisa, like she said, she's really smart. And when she looked at the data and we looked at charts and graphs and she said, because a picture's worth a thousand words, she said, I get it. I get it. And I yeah. realize now that I would have more and there may be ups and downs, but over the long run, it looks like we're going to be okay. Um, and, and I'll, I'll say one other thing she was talking about giving, giving people the, um, the courage to say, it's okay to want something. Now we live in a, a smaller community, Lisa and I here in um, Georgia. And last week there was a, a loss of a, a person who was larger than life in our community at way too young an age. And it's great to plan for the future, but it was a stark reminder that we really do have to find joy every day. And that's the point of having the money is to achieve a goal to provide that security. It's not just always about forever away. Right. Yeah. Susan's actually um, being a little tactful about how our conversation went. And she was 
She leaned in, she listened to me, but when she showed me the numbers, I realized how much more money I would have had if I'd have called her five or six years earlier or even one year earlier. And so there's a Chinese proverb, the best time to plant a tree is 10 years ago. The second best time is today. And so I said, here we are, the second best time. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah and, and the fact that she showed you the data and so forth, it comes back to the point you made earlier, Lisa, is that, you know, your relationship with some of the male advisors, it's not clear to me that they would have dug in that way and really showing you all that information. As you said, there's often uh, sometimes condescending attitudes toward that, or they may they even they, they didn't really know their practice uh, that, that very well. So Kate and um, Susan, so we certainly have, it was great that you were able to bring some of your clients on the show. And we've talked about, you know, very kind of case studies uh, there. What are some you clearly have more clients as well. What are some of those common questions that you're getting across your clients? And some of these could be more recently. Some of these could be, you know, more systemic that, you know, they always, they, they always happen in the last, you know, 10 years or so. Yeah, you know, um, Kent, one of the, the, I mentioned it earlier, but um, also in this community that I live in, while there are a lot of people moving here and they're younger now, there, there are still quite a few people that are, you know, farther into their retirement. Um, I've had several women come to me, um, some of them couples ahead of time, but, but they've really found it's, it's important that everybody understand not, not just how much money we have, but why we have the money invested the way we do and how it supports the financial plan that we put together. Um, you know, it's, it's very interesting to, because it's, it's happened in the community where somebody wasn't informed and others have seen how that is, is a tragic impact to the one left behind to deal with all of that when there hasn't been any planning or, or Kate wrote an article um, a few months ago that was titled, Who's Your Person? And, and that was based on yeah. a loss in her family as well. And she was helping somebody through, but who's your person when that time comes that can be there with you and knows the what and the why of your plan and can help you see it through. Yeah. And, you know, say that people don't want to think about those things. You mentioned a, a tragedy, I assume a death in your uh, local area. And it's just, uh, people often don't want to think about those things. It's easier not to do that. And so therefore they're often underinsured for life insurance, things like that. It It's very hard to plan for these things, but I found avoiding having the conversation never makes, you know, the finality easier. Right. Yeah. Um, so in, in these cases, the, the only thing that makes it better is to know that you did check on life insurance and that you are properly insured. Um, that's not going to make the pain go away, but you're going to be glad that that's taken care of for yourself and your family, um, that you've got the estate plan and you signed the, the will and you got all of that recorded. Um, that's going to make all of that horrible process that much easier for everybody. Yeah. And uh, some, some of your clients in the show today are, in fact, entrepreneurs, business owners. Uh, and that could be you know, slice kind of two ways. One is financial advice for business owners in general, but secondly, uh, for female business owners, um, are there special issues kind of there um, that, that you often encounter? You know, um, some of the issues I, I tell people when you're self-employed, um, I'm a CPA from a prior life as well as um, a CFP. And, you know, when you're self-employed, you have a little bit more latitude on the tax side to look for those advantages. We talked about with Alicia earlier, setting up a retirement plan for their company. Not only does that help them save, but they're getting a tax deduction. They're helping their employees. Um, there's also succession planning for small businesses. Like Lisa said earlier, she had actually been thinking about selling her business. We've talked about that a couple of times. What would it take? What would that look like? What would we need to make the plan work if you're going to give up future earning years? Um, and so we, I think in the, within the self-employed clients that we have, we have an opportunity to be very creative, which is a lot of fun too. Yeah. I mean, do you notice that the desires of female entrepreneurs is for their employees? So Alicia, um, earlier in the show talked about setting up a 401k, setting up a health plan. And a lot of that made her trucking business more competitive, but is there also just, you know, um, it may be differences in preferences, even for the same type of company, same number of employees and so forth. Do you see any differences 
by gender in terms of how a female entrepreneur wants to treat or interact with their employees differently? That's a great question. Um, it really is. <laughs> yeah, because I have I have male and female clients that are self-employed. As I think about it, mm-hmm. my female clients, I would say on average, have more benefit plans established for their employees, including mm-hmm. health and retirement yeah. plans. Yes. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. And I think it's that nurse. Alicia, you're, you're about to say something? Yeah. No, it just, it, it made me laugh out loud because it, it really is like Susan is constantly teasing uh, my partner and I that we, we spend a great deal of time caring about our employees and thinking about the care of them and not just their care at the office, but the care for their family, the care for their ongoing futures. Um, and we implement things that most companies wouldn't do. Like we self-fund a short-term disability. And so we have drivers, for instance, that they, you know, their knees will go out. They get overweight from being, you know, in the truck for years, their knees will go out. Well, I've had one guy in the last two years had both knees replaced. That was 14 weeks each, each time. And we paid him the whole time. Okay. Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, we all know trucking for, for those who watch the Netflix shows on trucking, you know how cutthroat that business is. So the fact that you're going, going, going the extra mile for your employees is, is just really amazing. So we're out of time. Uh, sorry, we can't keep talking about uh, this, but it's all the time we have for today. I want to thank my all of you really for coming on this show. I really appreciate that. And if you'd like to find out more information about Kate and Susan, in particular in their firm, Asset Grades, just go to their website, which is uh, assetgrade.com. I also want to thank my producer, Patty Hall, and my sound engineer, Dion Simpkins. And uh, until we're going live, uh, you can uh, hopefully in a few weeks, maybe in a couple of months here, uh, you can certainly go to my website, kentamoney.com, where I have a, a list of the only advisors. So um, Kent Smothers, you've been listening to Business Radio Series XM 132. Have a great week, everybody. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.